From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Grace Warner. And I'm Abby Grise. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. We have a special election show for you, and our reporters have created stories for us revolving around national and local races. We'll introduce you to an app specifically designed for Ohio millennial voters and tell you why some out-of-state students decide to register to vote here in Ohio. Also, one of our reporters explains why local elections are often forgotten in the midst of a presidential race. I'm mostly concerned with the presidential election. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely dissociated from local politics. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. The Outlet's Brooklyn Donahue covers how the local election is affected during times when the presidency is at stake, as well as the impact students have at the polls. Many people are focused on the presidential election, which will account for a huge portion of voter turnout this year. But along with the presidential nomination, there will be many local issues on the ballot for voters to decide on. For such a prominent election, many people have decided to vote absentee or early. A lot of people are nervous for the outcome of the election, and some may be choosing not to vote at all this November. But those that do have plans to vote on election day may be too focused on the presidential election to focus on the local election. Ellen Smith, a local voter, is one of those people. I'm mostly concerned with the presidential election. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely dissociated from local politics. You know, I'm prepared to, to vote for my candidate because I'm scared to death of the possibility of any sort of win for the other one. OU political science professor Sarah Pagioni also said uninformed students oftentimes have the same thoughts as Ellen when it comes to local election issues. What often happens, and what I expect will happen in this case, is because there's more people at the polls, we usually get more people than voting for what we call those down-ballot races, right? Um, So a lot of people, if they're going to the polls to vote for their presidential candidate, they also participate in the other elections on the ballot. She said some voters will even vote for one party on the entire ballot, regardless of whether or not they know the candidates. Uh, So I think people do use those information shortcuts as we move down the ballot in those local election races, and that's probably likely to be the case here. Um, That's one of the reasons that both parties at the national level are very interested in sort of mobilizing their voters and getting turnout, um, not only to win at the national level, not only to win the presidential contest, but also to have effects on other races down the ballot and to advantage their party at the state level, to advantage their party at the local level, and of course advantage their party at the federal level. Elections in Athens County have a different dynamic because of a large number of students attending the university. Students often vote on local candidates and issues with no knowledge of what the context is, or on the other hand, they may be very active in local politics. One of the things, though, I think is really interesting in terms of our local elections and the impact of students is how involved certain groups of students here are in some of the local politics here. And that I think of the college Democrats and the college Republicans. In some cases, students may not even vote in the local election at all due to being unaware of the issues. A way to combat this is to look at local election guides posted by organizations such as the League of Women Voters or the Athens County Board of Elections. For The Outlet, I'm Brooklyn Donahue.
While many think of Athens as only a college town, its public school district is also important to families in the county. The outlets Elise Hammond and Flannery Jewell tell us more about a school levy that appeared on the ballot. Jessica Thomas owns Brennan's Coffee and Cafe on Court Street with her husband. The couple has lived in Athens County for over 17 years. Every day they bake food, make espresso drinks, and oversee all of their employees. While she's not running her business, Jessica is also a parent. Her son Zach is in the seventh grade at Athens Middle School. Zach is just getting started in terms of his education, but in the future he could face significant changes if the district levy on this year's ballot doesn't pass. If this levy were not renewed, it would have a very significant negative impact on our programs. We would have to reduce uh, literally $3.7 million worth of expense, uh, which for us would be, um, you know, would have a, a, a very, very negative impact on our programming. That was Tom Gibbs, the superintendent of the Athens City School District. According to Gibbs, the money is most commonly used to pay teachers, buy equipment for programs, and supplies for classrooms. The levy is 6.72 mills and will cost homeowners approximately $200 for every $100,000 of valued property. Voters will be deciding on whether or not to substitute the existing limited term levy with a continuous levy, which would not have to be renewed every four to five years. This general operating levy was originally passed in 2004 and is making its fourth appearance on the ballot this fall. Citizens in Athens have been funding the school district through this levy for over a decade. For this reason, most parents, according to Jessica, will continue to support the levy. I think there's always some that will question whether it's being spent well, and that's always fair. I think most of the parents are not willing to vote against one just because the risk of, you know, what we could lose or what we could have to deal with. But I haven't heard too many people saying that they do want to support one. According to the district's mission statement, the goal is to collaborate with students, parents, and the community to provide an enriched and rigorous learning environment. Jessica feels that the passage of this levy allows the district to maintain its functionality. Um, the rest is just going to allow us to keep maintaining what we have in the district, keep the services that we currently have, and not have to make any more additional cuts from this point on. Uh, like we had to in the last year or so. So kind of just keeping everything moving and not losing anything right now. Jessica and Gibbs would both agree that the levy is a crucial aspect of the Athens City School District. For The Outlet, I'm Flannery Jewell. Students across the nation are taking a notice in the election and are making stances that allow their voices to be heard in creative ways. Outlet reporters Catherine Mori and Jessica Rutkowski cover one campus group's way of trying to get their point across. Whether it was walking up Morton Hill or stepping through the college gate on the edge of campus, it was hard not to notice the chalk messages that appeared during early October all over the beloved red bricks. The many messages were written on the ground, but instead of advertising club meetings or sorority events like usual, they advertised the controversial message that read, quote, Donald Trump is a rapist. The message was written by members of the organization F Rape Culture, commonly known as FRC. It is a radical feminist group with a goal to minimize and eventually stop sexual assault altogether on campus. While they are not trying to influence voters, they are trying to take a stand. 
The FRC's main goal is to educate people and give them opportunities to participate in the cause. The organization holds meetings about rape culture, consent, and prevention while collaborating with activist groups on campus to get involved with protests, rallies, and sit-ins. Claire Soule is an organizing member and participated in FRC's latest campaign, which was writing the Donald Trump is a rapist messages in chalk around campus. In order to reach their goal of gaining students' attention to their agenda, the FRC involved Donald Trump in their campaign because he is a prominent player in the 2016 election. Since allegations of sexual misconduct have risen against him, he is someone who is currently in the spotlight. So many of the things that Trump has said in this election are absolutely deplorable. His comments about disabled people, about you know immigrants, about people of color, have just absolutely been horrific. Uh, and we decided to chalk uh, Donald Trump is a rapist all over campus because this is yet another of his egregious offenses and also because politically this is something that people will notice. This campaign has caused strong reactions from many people, including current freshman Colton Brucker. So my encounter with the FRC message was on campus as I was walking across College Gate I saw a chalk writing on the ground that said Donald Trump is a rapist and I saw this and I was taken back by it so I took a water bottle and I poured it on it and I wiped it out with my foot and some lady working at a table uh, reacted towards that and basically said like what are you doing you can't do that Donald Trump's a rapist and all this stuff and she was just talking to me about it and she was really taken away from it. Other people have reacted like Colton too. Some have chalked over Trump's name, proclaiming, quote, Bill Clinton is a real rapist. Even though the intent of these chalk messages is not to influence voters to pick one candidate over the other, it has succeeded in getting people to notice the FRC's message and to get people to talk about rape culture. We don't really care about the reaction we get. It's the, it's the, the truth and it needs to be out there, right? And as if people are spurred to participate, participate in direct action or in activism or in work against uh, rape culture against, uh, you know, patriarchy in general, then that's, that's our goal. Mm -hmm. For The Outlet, I'm Catherine Mori. The Outlet's Allie Eldridge and Anna Hoffman cover voting in Athens County this week in a story that looks into the difference between voter turnout this election compared to previous years. This year's election is an especially exciting one for many here on campus. For many Ohio University students, this is the first time they are voting in a presidential election. With the stakes being so high, it seems that the effort to encourage people to vote has intensified here on campus. There have been enthusiastic students from groups like NextGen Climate all over the university handing out flyers and asking people to go to the polls. Despite all of this encouragement to vote, it seems that the amount of people going out to vote early this year is less than what was seen in previous years. Debbie Quivy is the director of the Board of Elections in Athens. She says that the amount of early voters is less than what she anticipated. As of October 31st, Debbie said that nearly 6,000 early voters had turned in their ballots. Well, I thought it was going to be one of our busiest presidentials, but so far it's proven me wrong. Uh, at this time, four years ago, we had probably have seven to 800 more people vote than have this time. Austin Lenfante, the student opinion editor for The New Political, feels many people are highly motivated to vote in this election. I think now more than ever, I, um, 
people our age are more mobilized, at least politically. So that's kind of a big factor, like at least for our generation, that's going to get them out to vote. He also thinks the long lines for the polls might have an effect on students voting on Election Day. 30-something dorms are all going to vote in Baker one day. And judging by like how long that line's going to be, I think that would probably be the biggest factor like to deter OU students from voting. I'm sure they want to vote, but who wants to wait two hours in line? But, Austin says, the more informed and involved the millennial generation becomes, the more influential it will be. I know there was like some data, like soon enough we're going to like, the millennial voter block is going to be bigger than a baby boomer flock. But the, we're m- less active than the baby boomer block when it comes to voting. So it's really just up to us. The ball's in our court. While the facts now show less of a voter turnout than expected, there is still time for those numbers to change. Voters have continued to turn in their early ballots, and more people will be eagerly waiting in line to cast their vote on Election Day. It is the responsibility of the people to go out and participate in the democracy this country was built on. For The Outlet, I'm Allie Eldridge. For many students, this is the first year they're able to vote in a presidential election. For out-of-state students, they had to decide where they wanted to vote, back home or in Ohio. With more on this story, here's the outlet's Beth Greenman. Ohio is hailed as the most important swing state in the presidential election by most. Many say the state reflects the average feelings of the American public due to its wide diversity. No Republican has ever been elected to executive office without winning Ohio. Only two Democrats have been elected to office without it. The state has 18 electoral votes, and it's up to the people of Ohio to decide where they go. Students in Ohio can establish permanent residency in the state if they have intentions to remain at their Ohio school address, and they intend to make Ohio their principal home. This means that students who come from out of state can vote in Ohio. This raises an important question for many. Where should out-of-state students register to vote? Their home state or Ohio? Many choose to vote in Ohio because of the state's crucial role in determining presidential elections. They think their votes will count more here. Ohio University first-year student Talon Sams is from West Virginia and decided to register here in Athens County. Frankly, I missed the deadline for uh, an absentee ballot in West Virginia. I did want to vote for the sake of my local candidates, but I guess the uh, presidential vote means more here. Others choose to vote at home via absentee ballots out of a sense of allegiance to their home states. I feel like I have more loyalty to Colorado. I grew up there, and I felt like I wanted my vote to go towards that state rather than Ohio because I just moved here. It wasn't a decision out of ease. It was more a decision out of loyalty to where I grew up. That was first-year student Kaya Malik. She did not know her vote would potentially make more of a significant difference in the presidential election in Ohio before deciding not to register in state, but also does not regret her decision to vote in Colorado. I did find out a little bit late that my vote would have somehow uh, made more of a difference, I guess you could say, later on. I think I will consider changing um, my registration to Ohio next year, but I'm not upset about voting for Colorado this year, um, especially since it's my first time voting. Both Malik and Sams rejected the idea that this presidential election was special. Malik instead called it interesting, while Sam said it was much like any other. It's a presidential election like any other. Um, I think that it just goes with the attitude that is had, uh, that's been communicated through social media and whatnot about the year of 2016, that everyone thinks that it's special or especially bad, and every year uh, is in some sense awful, and every political election is in some sense mudballing. There has been mudballing, there has been 
all of this awful campaigning stuff since Thomas Jefferson versus John Adams. It's been this way and will continue to be this way. People have different reasons for voting where they do. No matter where one chooses to vote, though, it's important not to take America's long-held tradition of democracy for granted. For The Outlet, I'm Beth Greenman. Young voters make up 31% of the electoral vote, according to NPR.org. A large amount of these voters do not even know where they should go to vote. Taylor Brock and Lexi Mathabel explore a new app called Ohio Voter Info that will hopefully fix this problem in the future. These days, there seems to be an app for everything. An app that can help you keep track of appointments, an app to remind you to drink water, an app to help you keep in contact with loved ones. And now, there's an app to help people find out details about Election Day. Ohio has a new voter information app to encourage millennial voting. It's called Ohio Voter Info, and it was developed by an Ohio company called Triad Governmental Systems, located in Xenia, Ohio. People can now access pretty much any information they need to know about voting and the process of it. The app can be customized to include your personal voting information. It can help you find out if you are active registration, if your registration address needs to be updated, you can find out if you requested an absentee ballot for an election, when that ballot was sent, and if you've already sent that ballot back to the Board of Elections, you can identify when that ballot was received. President of Triad Governmental Systems, Brett Rapp, is very excited about what all this app can do. We wanted a helpful way for people to be able to find out if they were registered to vote and if their absentee ballots had been received or returned. So what we were trying to do is create more or less a service app or an app that would help people identify these types of information. Candidate information, polling places, and even directions to those polling places are also available on the app. 63 out of the 88 counties in Ohio use the voter registration software. With Ohio being one of the key deciding states in the presidential election, it's important to educate people about the importance of voting. The free app has only been out for a year, so only about 1,500 users have downloaded it so far. With a large amount of college students voting in a presidential election for the first time, this app can be very helpful. Ohio University freshman Maggie Wolf says she has had the app for about two months now after her parents told her about it. So when I was here for orientation, my parents found out about the Ohio Voter app. And as a child of somebody who comes from people who were involved in politics and such, they thought this app would be very useful for my first presidential election. So on this app, I have been able to figure out where I should vote if I was voting in Athens, my absentee ballot, if I should vote in Athens, or if I should vote for where I'm from back home. So all in all, the app has really helped me out with my first presidential election. Maya Johnson, also a freshman at Ohio University, says she does not have the app, but is planning on downloading it after she heard about all it can offer her. I didn't really know where to go um, to get my absentee ballot, so I was just kind of going to rely on like all my friends to show me. But, I mean, this app seems, seems really helpful. It, I think it's really cool that you can see the candidates who are on the ballot for the Athens County and actually for any county in Ohio. All of the information in the app can be found at the Ohio Board of Elections office. The app has just made it easier than ever for people to access the information on their phones, which is a faster process. The Ohio Voter Info app is a step forward in the future of educating all about the voting process. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Brock. Social media is everywhere around us, and people always seem to be attached to their cell phones or on their technology. 
Our reporter Maddie Young shares how social media has impacted the election this year. Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat are just three major social media outlets that everyone is constantly on. With those being so popular, the impact that it has on this election is huge. Mary Rogus, an associate professor at Ohio University, who teaches a class specifically about broadcasting the election, believes that social media is where most college students get their information from. They're not big television watchers. Um, they're not necessarily mainstream media um, consumers. So they are relying very heavily, um, particularly on social media. And this campaign has had so much social media um, coverage that it actually turns out to be um, a place that's very lucrative for them in terms of finding information. Um, the question is the source of that information, is it credible? Hannah Borowski is a first-time voter and follows Hillary on every social media outlet. She believes that Hillary Clinton uses more mature language in her tweets, and that's what makes her stand out and shows how serious she is in the election. So she's very calculated. She's uh, no mistakes, no, nothing squeezes in through the cracks. Like Everything is very calculated. Every picture, every tweet, which I appreciate. I like professionalism, especially when you're trying to represent your whole country. Um, while Donald Trump is much more uh, sporadic, no editing, I feel like not even one person looks at his tweets before he hits send. While some voters agree with the maturity of someone's social media and tweets can be, others prefer a more real approach. Missy Padula believes that Donald Trump shows uniqueness in the way his social media is ran. His tweets are definitely a little more out there. Um, he has a strong opinion and he's not allowed, or he's not afraid to voice um, his opinion. Um, while Hillary, she takes more of actually a conservative stance on her tweets um, so that she doesn't get into any quote-unquote trouble with her social media. Both candidates have a completely different approach on the way that their social media is ran. However, that's become a huge aspect of the election because of the high usage of technology. The candidates obviously are using social media and they're hoping that they're reaching young people with it. And so, you know, anything that provides more information to people and, you know, clearly the campaigns are, are thinking that this is where young voters are. No matter which candidate, social media is going to play a big impact on how people perceive information, which in turn influences their decisions on which way to vote. According to Statista, 67 million Americans are on Twitter, Obviously, the candidates have used that market to their campaigning advantage. For The Outlet, I'm Maddie Young. You've been hearing a lot about Hillary and Donald, but what about other presidential candidates? Our reporter Jacquez Printup goes in-depth with student voters and an Ohio University professor about third-party candidates. It's been a long several months leading up to one of the biggest days in the country, that being the presidential election. A lot of people have strong opinions on both candidates, but some voters forget that there are more than just two people in the race. Gary Johnson and Jill Stein are the third-party nominees for president of the United States, Johnson with the Libertarian Party and Stein with the Green Party. So... Who is planning on supporting these two lesser-known candidates? Sophomore Zach Hadley is considering all his options, including third-party candidates. 
I went back and forth on both of them, actually, for different reasons. I liked some of Donald's policies. I liked some of Hillary's. But as people, I just can't really get behind them. So for the most part, um, that's why I'm considering either third party or not voting. It's not super common to hear of people voting third party, but in this election, that seems to be a new trend. Part of why I want to vote third party, in all honesty, is to kind of say I tried to kind of stop these two from getting into office, as bad as that sounds, because I feel like in their respective ways, they'll mess something up pretty bad. Um, so I'd prefer not to be aligned with either of them and kind of be third party. Freshman Patrick Buzzard, on the other hand, feels voting third party would be a waste. Yeah, so I feel that when you're voting in a like swing state that since your vote, like it would be throwing your vote away to vote for a third party because the race is going to be so close that by you not voting for the candidate that you normally like would, then that would like throw things into like towards the other person. Political science professor Dr. Lauren Elliott Doran says voting third party isn't necessarily a waste of a vote, but it might not work out like the voter plans. Whenever you're voting, you're never throwing your vote away. Um, I can't say that enough. Every vote matters. But when we're talking about a third party vote, what people often don't realize is that most of the time it matters in the completely opposite way than what the voter intended. Um, and so your vote counts. Your vote always counts. Um, but if you're voting for a third party candidate, depending on who that is, that's probably going to give an advantage to the candidate you least prefer. So if votes always count, why is it so hard for these candidates to win? Because it's kind of the circular argument where third parties will never be viable because they never get enough of the vote. People don't vote for them because they say they'll never be viable, right? So it's this self, it's this reinforcing cycle. So some people believe that they can break the cycle, uh, but my argument is those folks aren't really um, understanding uh, the actual, like, the electoral environment we're in. Um, and again, the, just the fact that we don't have proportional voting, we have a winner-take-all system. So uh, the structure, I think people realize, is not conducive to third parties. Zach and Patrick are choosing to vote third party for very different reasons, but one that remains the same is that in any political race, everyone's voice deserves to be heard. Whether it's the candidate with the D or the R, or even the G or the L, this election is one to remember. For The Outlet, I'm Jacquez Printup. And lastly on our show, reporter David Lee looked into particular groups in the U.S. who might have a tougher time voting than the rest of the country on Election Day. In a radio address from the White House, Franklin D. Roosevelt once said that the only people able to deprive an American's right to vote were Americans themselves by not voting. But voter eligibility requirements, ID laws, and how some voters are treated at the polls can impact someone's ability to exercise a basic right as an American. This is especially true for Americans with mental or physical disabilities and the poor or homeless. Louis Bossing, an attorney at the Washington, D.C.-based Bazelon Center for Mental Health Law, does not think every American is treated equally when it comes to voting. The question here is whether or not a state places specific uh, impediments or limits on the right to vote of people with mental disabilities. Some states do 
place uh, restrictions or tests on on people uh, with mental disabilities that they don't put on people without disabilities. We don't think people with mental disabilities should be subjected to a test that is not a test given to all voters with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Generally, we don't ask voters without disabilities to show that they understand, you know, votes, voting, or have a preference about voting on an issue or a candidate. Mike Brickner is the Senior Policy Director at the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, in Ohio. He says the state does have fairly good practices in place to make polling places accessible to voters with disabilities, but challenges still remain. I think that what many people with disabilities um, uh, encounter are more along the lines of attitudinal barriers, where um, it's really their interactions with people who are um, elections officials or poll workers or other voters that oftentimes um, makes them feel unwelcome um, and makes them feel as though uh, they can't or should not participate in the uh, election system. Rachel Vacanti is a graduate student at Ohio University and has a visual disability. She's one of an estimated 19.1 million Americans of voting age with a visual impairment. She voted two years ago and says the process could be better. It used to be that you would have to go into the box with a sighted reader who would basically read the ballot to you and you could tell them what to mark but you wouldn't necessarily know if they marked exactly what you said or who you said. So there could have been some possible fraud and it just was very uncomfortable for people as well, even if they knew that the person marked who they said, it was still very uncomfortable because you knew someone else knew how I voted, and that's very much a private right. While technology can help those in need of accommodations for physical or mental differences, for those lacking a basic address, voting can be seen as almost impossible. Well, voting is, is based on your resonance. So since homeless people by nature don't have a resonance, it's really difficult to figure out where you can get mail, how to get back to the place where you get mail to vote in that precinct. We have the issue of having to get ID for mm-hmm. individuals. That was Brian Davis, Executive Director of the Northeast Ohio Coalition of the Homeless, or NEOCH. Ken Payton, the voting coordinator of the organization, goes out into the streets of Cleveland every day during election seasons to get homeless people to vote. On top of all those challenges, voters now face being removed from registration rolls simply because they haven't voted for four consecutive years that includes two federal elections. Since April, the ACLU of Ohio, the NEOCH, and the Ohio A. Philip Randolph Institute have been in a legal battle with the Secretary of State, claiming the state has been illegally removing voters from the registration rolls. We um, have a legislature and uh, other elected officials who um, try and manipulate the system and uh, uh, want to achieve a certain election result. And that almost any time that there's one of those manipulations, um, it is the voter that suffers. In October, after a decision and an appeal, the U.S. Court of Appeals ordered that previously removed Ohioan voters may cast provisional ballots in person on November 8th. Secretary Houston's press secretary, Joshua Eck, does not see the court decision having much weight. 
the goal that we have is to find the balance between making it easy to vote uh, and also hard to cheat because we have a responsibility to make sure that everybody who wants to cast a ballot has the ability to do so, uh, but also a responsibility to make sure that the election is fair. So uh, it's about finding that balance, and I think that Ohio has found that balance, and uh, which makes it unnecessary for there to be politically motivated lawsuits on these things. Children in America recite the Pledge of Allegiance at schools. And the last part says, One nation under God, indivisible. As of now, there seems to be some division in the practice of the nation's most basic power. For the outlet, this is David Lee. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced and co-hosted each week by me, Grace Warner, and Abby Grise. We're edited by Atish Badia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.